Today's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. His name is Brian. And in the last church where I served, Brian volunteered to walk the church building every night from 10.30 to 11.30 p.m., making sure that all of the doors and windows were securely locked. And so if you were at the church late at night, you'd see him and you'd, you'd hear him. He'd be whistling down the hallways and you'd see the beam of his flashlight bouncing up and down. Whenever I was scheduled to preach on Sunday mornings, I'd often see Brian late on Saturday night, and I'd usually be talking through the sermon, and he would take a seat on the back pew, and he would listen. He'd wait until I was finished, and then we'd talk about the sermon text and about his day and about his life. You see, life hadn't always been easy for him. His wife died tragically and too soon, and he was left all alone to raise two little girls. I always thought I could learn a lot from Brian. After all, he'd faced some hard times, and he still whistled when he walked. I'll never forget the night that he told me a story about when he and his wife Rhonda had first gotten married. They'd bought this cute little house, and they, they decided that they were going to plant a garden. They were so excited. They bought everything that they needed, and they went back behind the little house to plant the garden. They marked off the space, and they started to till the soil. The only problem was that just below the topsoil was a bed of gravel, 
and rock. Sure, they could have planted the green beans and the carrots and the corn, but it wouldn't have produced anything. There was no room for life to grow. When we arrive on the scene of Matthew 13, we find Jesus making his way from the house and then to the seaside. We don't know if he needed or was looking for a moment of silence and solace, but this won't be a time for quiet prayer and reflection. Matthew tells us that the crowds gathered around him and and Jesus is forced to move again. And so he goes from the seashore to a boat. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus sits down. This seems like a small detail in the text, but this was the traditional posture of a Jewish teacher. And so Matthew's cluing us in that this will be a teachable moment. Jesus often used parables to illustrate the point. These stories regularly speak of the daily stuff of life. Bread and farming, money, love, celebrations, and the workaday life. Jesus spoke to people about the things and practices that they knew well, challenging his disciples and the crowds alike to reckon with what it means to be a part of a faithful community and to live out faithful rhythms each and every day. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story that the gathered crowds could have easily imagined. Some have even mused that perhaps Jesus could have simply stretched out his hand and and pointed to a nearby hillside. Maybe there's there's a farmer tilling the soil in the background. But it wouldn't have required this for the story to to come alive. You see, in a highly agrarian society, soil and seed and the harvest was everyday life. Survival or starvation was contingent on what the soil produced. In the words of one of my professors, soil is the life-bearing medium that God repeatedly uses to create plants, animals, and of course us. Life grows out of the soil together. We all depend on the soil. And so Jesus tells a story about the soil. A farmer goes out and, and scatters seed by hand. Some of the seed falls along a path, and the birds come and they they snatch it away. Some of the seed falls on shallow soil, and at first there is growth, but then the sun comes out, and the sun heats the, the ground, it scorches, and the plant withers away in the heat. And some of the seeds fall among the thorns, At first, there is growth here too, but eventually the thorns choke the plant and it dies. And finally, some of the good seeds fall on the good soil and there is an abundant return. At least on the surface, Jesus has told a story that everyone can grasp. I think we too, even from the heart of our urban forest, can see it all quite vividly. We can picture the farmer, the seed scattered, and the four conditions of the soil. But what does it all mean? This is one of the few parables where Jesus supplies the interpretation. And whenever this happens, I think it actually makes the passage both easier and more challenging to get a hold of. 
In verses 18 and following, Jesus goes back through the entire parable and gives the disciples a clearer picture of what his teaching was getting at all along. The parable was about how people respond to the message about God's kingdom or how people respond to a godly way of life. Each soil in the parable represents how people respond to this message. And by the time we get to the end of this parable, I think we realize that we are also reading a story about our own hearts and attitudes. You see, the soil of our lives tells our story. The story that we tell is evident day in and day out, depending on how we respond. So Jesus tells this and he asks, how do we respond to this message about God's kingdom here on earth? You see, this is the same thing we give voice to each and every week when we pray for God's will to be done on earth. Jesus will be nudging all of us and even the disciples in this passage to consider our faithfulness and to evaluate the condition of human hearts. What are we producing? What are you sowing, tending, and yielding in your life? Let's look again at each of the responses in this passage, asking the question, what can we learn when it comes to our faith and action in the world? Well, first, Jesus talks about the seed that falls on the path. I wonder, are there times when the good seed of God's Word falls on our hearts, and it's as if the birds swoop down and devour it? It just doesn't last. It's fleeting When this happens, we might think or say things like, I don't think I'm really ready for any of that to take root in my life. You mean I'm I'm really supposed to love my neighbor? You mean I'm really supposed to consider the interests of others before I consider myself? You mean I really have to change my attitudes? See, for all of us, I would guess that there have been moments when the seed just doesn't stick. And so we, we hand wave God's goodness and we, we push it to the side. The teachers of Jesus' day talked about those who would sit in front of their teacher like a funnel and, and teaching would go in one ear and it would go out the other. And see, when it comes to our lives, we probably don't always listen as well as we should Maybe today you need to till the soil of your heart, making a commitment to listen carefully and to to dwell graciously with the godly way of life. Well, next, Jesus talks about the seed that falls on the shallow soil. And even though this plant started to grow, it eventually couldn't take root. Perhaps a bit like the backyard of my friend Brian. There's rock underneath the soil, and there just isn't any room for the roots to go down. Any growth that occurs won't last for long if this is the case. There, there will be no permanence. When the scorching sun comes out, such a response will have no roots from which to draw nutrients, and whatever is planted will eventually just wither away. I don't think we should overlook that the fact that this soil or this response to the gospel is described as being shallow. A shallow response to Jesus' way of life has no depth. It's just at the surface. I wonder, are there any rocks that you need to address in your life? 
Digging up rocks is no easy business, especially in the scorching sun. But the reality is, if, if you don't get rid of the rocks, if you don't clear out the junk, no true growth will ever occur. And so what do you do when the going gets tough? When the sun starts to beat down on your brow? What happens in, in your life or in mine when being a Christian isn't always easy? I think these are actually the very moments when we are defined. Our depth is called into question in these moments. Will we be a people who make room for the goodness of God to take root? Or, or will, will we only let our faith appear for a little while and, and on the surface? This morning, if your response to Jesus' call of discipleship is lacking in depth, I would encourage you to do the hard work to creatively make space in your life so that true growth can occur. Well, then Jesus talks about the seed that falls on the thorny soil. In this case, the good seed is, is choked out and it's, and it's overtaken by something else. This kind of soil is, is something that most of us can probably put our finger on. You see, if we aren't careful, there can be so many competing voices suppressing good and, and godly priorities in our lives. As one author puts it, we live in a time of, of sensory and information overload. These voices often compete for our attention and sometimes even with our faith and what we value the most. And I don't think we should be too quick to overlook what Jesus says in verse 22. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, the thorns of worry can wrap us up, so much so that we won't take a step forward toward God or, or anyone else. The worries of this life can trip us up if we only give them a foothold. But that's not all. Jesus observes that the seduction of wealth can be dangerously powerful too. It can choke, starve, and control your every move if you'll only let it. We live in a world where it's far too easy to be consumed with our consuming. Stanley Hauerwas says about this passage that the word cannot flourish among those who continue to be shaped by the cares of this world. Well, today, if you know what that choking feeling is like, I think it's good advice for you to give up the grip that you might have on worry or wealth or whatever else is competing for your attention. I think it's interesting that in each of these first three scenes, something different happens, but, but none of the results are of any use to the farmer. None of the soil produces anything of value. None of the growth lasts long enough to produce anything that's real. It won't feed anyone. Despite the differences in the temperament of the soils, there is no good fruit to be found. The seed had been good, but the soil wouldn't take it. It, it wouldn't accept it. For Jesus, the human soil rejected what was good with one excuse or another, and what little did grow just couldn't endure. At this point in the parable, I think we've witnessed a clever progression. With the first soil, no growth ever occurred. With the second soil, everything started out okay, but in the end, it just couldn't survive. And then with the third soil, growth began but was overtaken before it could produce any fruit. 
But then Jesus talks about the seed that falls on the good soil. This soil represents those who hear God's word and respond with their lives. They, they hear, they understand, and they follow through. And this isn't a matter of, of in one ear and out the other. This response to Jesus' teaching isn't just at a surface level. It isn't skin deep. And it isn't getting tied up and, and tripped up by worry or obsessions about personal wealth. The good soil is the heart that listens to God's ways and responds accordingly. And did you notice how the good ground has different returns and, and that it doesn't really seem to matter? In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. I think this is a reminder that faith isn't about competing with one another there should be no keeping up with the Joneses in the kingdom of God. There is simply a call to hear, to respond, and to be faithful with whatever you have, giving your very best regardless of where you are in life. I also think it's important to point out that when Jesus tells the story, it's clear that the seed being sown is good through and through. In other words, the problem in Jesus' telling is not the potential of the seeds, but the potential of of the soils. Well, fast forwarding to today, the problem of unhospitable soil seems every bit as applicable. After all, we've probably all witnessed the varied conditions of human soil, of, of human hearts. We live in a world where our perspectives can still be maligned by the auspices of greed, apathy, or stubbornness. At the same time, I worry in our own context, not only about the conditions of the human soil, but I also fear that many have genetically modified the seed that is being grown. That is to say, the goodness of the gospel has sometimes been tragically altered into seeds of hate and hurt and control or self-satisfaction or personal prosperity. All of this prompts us to reckon with what it means for the gospel to really and truly be good news for all people. And Jesus, throughout the gospels, calls his disciples and the crowds to live a life that is centered on loving God and loving neighbor. When this, when this is fleshed out in the life of Jesus, we are confronted with what it means to care about the right sorts of things. Jesus lowered himself for the sake of others and calls us to do exactly the same thing. Jesus' sermons and instructions concerning the good news of God demand living truthfully, gently, and, and lovingly in a world that doesn't always play by the rules. And toward this end, Jesus helps us to understand a part of the heartbreak of sin that comes into focus through attitudes and actions that fracture our relationships. That is, when the very soil we, we scorch along the path of unselfishness comes to be seen through our dislove of God or neighbor. See, when you lie, when you cheat, gossip, or humiliate others, when you act selfishly, this eventually will be a story not of good news, but of bitter and even bad news. The seeds that are sometimes planted are there, but these are not the seeds of the gospel. And Jesus holds out a way of living in the world that isn't novel in its existence, but it was and it still is so often forsaken and forgotten and, and trampled underfoot. 
The gospel message is, is one of transformation through hope because the gospel calls us to see and advance a world that God described in the beginning as good and where good has always been held out as the human possibility. But all too often, we mangle and distort the good news. And tragically, there are many Christians who have taken something so good and, and immersed it into troubled waters Instead of a gospel that is life-giving, far too many people have sowed seeds that are life-robbing. I could go on, but suffice it to say, we've, we've probably all known Christians who have made the good news seem very bad, bleak, or even oppressive. And yet, don't miss the point. The answer to good that has been maligned is not to simply give up on faith, hope, and love. Rather, we need to revisit what it means to participate in proclaiming the good news and, and inviting others to see what God's goodness really and truly looks like. That's why we're here. We need to become familiar, trained, really, in what it means to sow good seeds so that we might join together to live and love in a way that God has always intended. When people are made to be expendable, when they are despised because of a different status or background, or, or when they are treated as a means to an end, such seeds, even if they grow for a little while, they will not produce something that is ultimately healthy or nourishing. I'm convinced in our own time that we need to not only tend to the soils of our lives and the conditions that make ourselves and others more or less receptive, we also need to make sure that the gospel seeds that, that we are broadly casting, are that these are seeds that can actually take root and, and grow in ways that are healthy and fruitful. In sum, take a look at your heart's condition today, but think also about the kinds of seeds that you're sowing as you go about your daily life. I began this morning by telling you a bit about my friend Brian I left you in his backyard, ready to plant a garden, only to find out that under the soil was, was rock and gravel. But the story doesn't end there. Brian told me that he, he went out and he got a big, giant, five-gallon bucket, and he, and he filled up the bucket again and again and again and again and again until the soil was cleared and there was no rock or gravel in the soil. And then he spoke this line, and it's a line that I hope that I never forget. He said, it was a labor of love, but the soil was reclaimed. It was a labor of love, but the soil was reclaimed. He went on to say that they planted the green beans and the carrots and the corn. He, he told me, it wasn't anything that you would go and take to the state fair, but we ate it and it was good. In the end, I can think of nothing better than recommitting, even in this very moment, to be a people who do the hard work to reclaim the soil and the good seed. May we be a people and a church who, who listen and follow God's way in our lives and in our city and in our world. And yes, this will often require a labor of love. But know this. The soil can be reclaimed.